Four of the children, K through fifth, is dismissed and nursery age dismissed. I forgot to... If you're not on Facebook, who's not on Facebook? Uh, we started vacation off Tuesday, May 24th evening with a baptism. Theo was baptized into Christ May 24th at Bass Lake. Um, and we're celebrating with that choice, that decision to follow Jesus. So... I know that heaven's rejoicing on Tuesday and still rejoicing, but please celebrate that another person is following Jesus with their life. Um, we, we give all the glory to God. Uh, as a father, you want to force your kids in the faith, but you can't do that. And he made the decision on his own, so we, we celebrate that. Um, and just please encourage Theo um, in, on his journey of faith from here on out. Uh, can, you, can you promise to do that? All right. So kids, you're dismissed to children, kindergarten through fifth grade, and then nursery age children can be dismissed too. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning to Matthew chapter, Mark, not Matthew, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to have a prayer, and then we'll dive into this. And if you notice, we only have two more weeks of Mark. It only took us 42 to get to next week, but it's been a good journey through the gospel according to Mark. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed studying it and presenting it to you. Um, with a couple breaks, because Tim St. Louis gave one and Jody gave last week. So I preached 40 of the 42. That's a, lo- that's a long series. Um, but we're, we're almost to the end. But if you have your Bible, Mark chapter 15, verse 42 to 16, verse 8. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus, his body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, 
just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we can gather together in song around the Lord's table and now around your word. I pray that we will have open ears and minds and hearts to what you have for us today from the Gospel of Mark. Please teach us something today. Help us to be mindful of the words that you want us to hear today. Thank you that we can celebrate a new life in Christ. And thank you for Jesus, who came to save his people from their sins. So help us to continue to proclaim that each and every day of our lives to those around us. In Jesus' wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen. Now, I know most of you, if not all of you, like to watch movies. Raise your hand if you like to watch movies. Jody already mentioned he watches movies. So, Now, sometimes when you watch a movie, whether it's an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours, over three hours, some movies, you get to the end... And the end happens and you're like, no, that cannot be the end of the movie. There has to be more. Do you ever feel that way with a movie? Well, you get that in Mark. Because Mark chapter 16 verse 8 is the original ending of Mark. The early manuscripts of Mark do not have 9 through 20. So the early readers, they get the gospel according to Mark and they get to chapter 16 or this last verse that says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They're like, what happened? Where's the rest of the story? That's why I split it between this week and next week because you're going to get the original ending today and the extended version next week. You ever watch the extended version of movies and you're like, I like the first version better? But I like the first version of Mark and the last version of Mark. And I, that's why I split it, because I want to split it, because this ending of Mark chapter 16, verse 8, is one that I've learned to appreciate. And more appreciative after I studied to present this today, and you'll see why at the end for our takeaways, because it helps. So let's dive into this. But first of all, you see the title there. Everybody say that title together. The Empty Tomb Brings Hope. And if you know me, I like definitions. So hope means this, to cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or be true. The Empty Tomb Brings Hope. It brings anticipation. It brings you want it to be true. You want it to be true. That's hope. 
And look what William Placker writes in his book, Jesus the Savior, about the resurrection. Here's what he writes. The first three stages of the story of Jesus Christ have already provided a great deal of the gospel. That is the good news. From the incarnation, we learn about God's reckless love and how humanity has been transformed by being united with divinity. In Jesus' life and ministry, we find a model of the life of obedience and love that God invites us to live. In the cross, we encounter God's reconciling and redeeming forgiveness. If that were the end of the story, though, all that good news would collapse. And then he says this, Certainly, if death had put an end to Jesus, then he could not offer hope beyond death for anyone else. We've read and studied together the Gospel according to Mark. The Mark didn't have his birth, but we have his life in ministry. And then he goes to the cross which Jody preached last week. And now today you have the empty tomb. Without the empty tomb of Jesus, everything else would be nothing. There's no hope of life everlasting after death if Jesus did not leave the grave, right? So that's what we look at today. The empty tomb brings what? Oh, you could do better than that. The empty tomb brings? I want the people online to hear you, okay? Can we try that again? The empty tomb brings hope. I hope you heard that online, viewers. Hope. So let's look at this passage together. It was preparation day. That is, the day before the Sabbath. So evening approach. Preparation day. This was a preparation day like no other. It's a different kind of preparation day because Jesus has died on the cross. John's Gospel says this, the Sabbath was going to be a special Sabbath. According to John, he writes that. It's going to be a special Sabbath. Preparation day. That's what, they prepared many things before Sabbath, but this one is going to be no like no other. And then you get verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. So Joseph of Arimathea comes on the scene. He's a prominent member of the council. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. And he's boldly asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now the middle one there caught my attention. It says, waiting for the kingdom of God. Remember, way back when Jesus started His ministry, way back in chapter 1. Who was with us in chapter 1? Chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus comes out of the wilderness after being tempted. He's coming into His ministry in Galilee and He says, the time has come, and this is what Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near. Do you think Joseph of Arimathea is hearing this message? Of Jesus? What Jesus is proclaiming? He's waiting for the kingdom, and Jesus said it has come near. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. And now He's taking Jesus down from the cross. He's asked for the body of Pilate. What, I don't know if he, he, he's realized it yet, but Joseph, I don't know if he's realized that Jesus is the Messiah yet. Maybe, maybe not. 
But he's boldly asked, I need to prepare, G- I need to bury Jesus before the Sabbath starts. That's what his, we need to do it. So he asked for the body, and then you get verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. You know what that word surprised is? Thaumatso, remember we were talking about Pilate? It's the same word used when he's talking to Jesus in the trial. It's to wonder. Pilate wondering why Jesus is already dead. He's like, how is he already dead? He shouldn't be dead already. But Pilate wondered. He was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. It's the same word when Jesus was silent. He wondered at that. This is how I put it. Pilate, I'm putting words in Pilate's mouth right now. I think he said this. No way. He's already dead. Are you sure? They're not supposed to die that quickly. That's what I think Pilate is saying. He's curious. He's wondering what happened. Why so quickly? And Look at verse 45. Or, sorry, still 44. He summons the centurion. He asks him if Jesus had already died when he learned. So, Pilate learns from the who? The centurion. Did you hear about a centurion last week? Did you hear about that? The centurion's mouth. He said, yep, Jesus is already dead. This is the same centurion i believe that said after seeing how jesus has died remember if you go back to verse i'm going to miss the verse here verse uh, 39 and when the centurion who stood there in front of jesus saw how he died he said surely this man was the son of god one translation said it like this when who stood the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died with such a loud cry. Remember, he cried out. We don't know what he said in Mark, but or other guy, any other guy, so I don't remember. But the centurion sees Jesus cry with a loud voice and then dies, and he said that surely that man is the Son of God. This is the same centurion, I believe, telling Pilate, he is dead. Don't worry about it. He's already dead. And then verse 46. So Joseph, he takes the body off the cross. He bought some linen cloth. He wrapped the body and put it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So Joseph takes the body off the cross. And if you just read Mark, man... If it's just one person taking somebody down from the cross, I don't know how he did it. I think he had a little help. But he's taking the body of Jesus, wrapping it in linen cloth, and getting it in a a tomb cut out of rock and rolling a stone before Sabbath starts. He needs to do it quickly. Okay? So he seals the tomb. And then you have verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. So these women, who were, where were they just at? Remember verse 40 of chapter 15, just a few verses earlier? Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joseph and Salome. 
In Galilee, these women had followed Him and cared for His needs. Many other women who had come up with Him to Jerusalem were also there. So there was a lot of women at the cross at a distance seeing Jesus, the person they cared for in Galilee, hanging on a cross. And now, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph are seeing Joseph put this body of their rabbi, their teacher, into a rock and rolling a stone in front of it. And then you get this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And then the very early, just after sunrise, they are on their way to the tomb. And what do they ask each other? Remember, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, just saw the stone getting put into the entrance of the tomb earlier. So they're asking, man, who's going to roll that stone away? We aren't strong enough. I don't think anybody's strong enough to move this. Well, they just saw somebody move it. I don't know how many people, but they're like, who's going to roll this stone away for us? And then what happens? They get to the tomb and the stone And what does it say? A very large stone was rolled away already. And they entered the tomb. And then they see a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. And they were excited. They were happy. They were alarmed. You know what that word means? They were struck with terror. Have you ever been struck with terror? I don't think I have. They were struck with terror. And what does the man in white robe tell them? You know in in Scripture when somebody meets like an angel or a, a, a heavenly being and they say, and they appear to them, what do those heavenly beings or angels, the first thing they say? Don't be afraid, don't be alarmed. So if you ever see an angel and you're excited, you probably didn't see an angel, okay? (laughs) They're struck with terror because it's a being that you don't see very often. They're struck with terror, but the man in white robe says, don't be struck with terror, don't be alarmed. And then he explains, if you caught the reading, look what it says. He explains why they should not be struck with terror. The young man says this, You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. So you just saw Him crucified on the cross. That is not a pretty sight to see. Jesus is dead on the cross. But He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid Him. So they come in, they're like, I don't know what struck with terror looks like, so that was not a good way to do it, but they're struck with terror. They're probably in their tracks dead still. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, yes, on the cross, but He's not here. He's not here. He's risen. Look, come. He's like, come, look. Come in the tomb a little farther and look where He's laid. That's where He was laid, but He's not there anymore. He's not there. He's not here. And the women, look what, keep going now. This young man in white robes, after explaining why Jesus and what happened to Jesus, it says this, but go. 
You have, I, I've said it once, twice, maybe a hundred times. I love the word, but. I love it. It's transitioning from something has happened. Yes, he's risen, he's not here. See where he's laid, but. To the women, he's like, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will. I love that. There you will see him. Just as he told you. So these women get this instruction to go and tell his disciples and Peter. And you're like, why is Peter's name mentioned? I wonder why. Because what just happened with Peter? Denied Jesus three times. And where's Mark getting his information from? Peter. I wonder if Peter put his name in there because he's like, I especially needed to hear this. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, go back to Mark chapter 14. Verse 28, this is where the young man says, just as he's told you, look what Jesus said before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be arrested. He tells his disciples, but after I have risen, what did he just say? After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So the young man in white robe tell the women, go tell the disciples in Peter, you're going to see him again in Galilee. Go meet him there. He, just, he told you that already. And the disciples are probably, they already forgot probably, but you know, when they hear this, they're like, oh yeah, he did say that. But Galilee is an important place. And as I was thinking of the life of Jesus and the ministry and, and, and his time on earth, Galilee is important. That was where he started his ministry. That's where he called his first disciples. Remember in chapter 1, he's by the Sea of Galilee and he says, Hey, come follow me, fishermen. Don't fish for the fish anymore. You need to fish for people's souls. Come follow me. That was in Galilee. And then, I'm thinking, oh, it's just fitting to end where you started. He started in Galilee and he's going to see his dis disciples in Galilee before he ascends into heaven. What a fitting way to end that. I called you in Galilee and now I'm going to be with you in Galilee after I've risen and then you're going to start and go out, right? It's fitting. But then, okay, then you get to verse 8. And then it's like, what kind of ending is this? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, if this was the original ending and you got only this ending, what would you be thinking? They didn't go and tell, right? What happened? <laughs> The, the young men in white robes said, hey, Jesus isn't here. Go tell disciples and Peter that, hey, he's going to ahead of you in Galilee. You're going to see him again. And then you get this. They were, they just didn't do anything. 
They went away, they fled, they ran away, they trembled, bewildered, they were afraid, they said nothing to anyone. To me, that would be like, if a movie ended like that, I was like, there has to be more, right? This can't be the ending. But listen to some, I'm going to quote several people here and then have comments here and there, but look at what each of these people say in their commentaries. Emerson Powery says this, the final words of the Gospel of Mark are words of regathering, reunion, and hope. If the story ends at Mark 16.8, as the earliest manuscripts attest, then hope is not defined by a resurrection or a physical appearance, but by an empty tomb and a promised regathering. I love that. Walter Wessel said this, if the Gospel of Mark ends with 16.8, As some believe, Mark intentionally emphasizes the mystery and awesomeness of the resurrection. The women were afraid because God's eschatological action, that's just end time stuff, in the resurrection of His Son had been revealed to them, an event Mark understood to be the climax of all God's saving acts and the inauguration of the time of the end. Alan Black in his commentary said this, The point of Mark 16, 1-8 might be paraphrased as follows, He has risen, you will see Him, how awesome. I love that one, it was just short and sweet. Here's my own comments before we get to some others. The tomb is empty. And the women are the first witnesses of the event and they are told to go and tell. But they were trembling and bewildered. Trembling means this, quaking with fear. I've never been quaking with fear. I don't know how that looks, but they were afraid. They were scared with fear. Bewildered in the Old Testament and New Testament means amazement. The state of one who, either owing to the importance or the novelty of an event, is thrown into a state of blended fear and wonder. Did you catch that? Blended fear and wonder. Even though they were fearful, they still were kind of curious of what's happening. I've been in that state before. Like, I'm scared, but I'm curious. I'm not going to go in that dark forest, but I'm curious. I'm going to go in, right? I think that's the state they're in. They're like, oh, I'm scared. I'm fearing with, I'm quaking with fear, but I'm wondering what, what is this all about? They said nothing because they were afraid. And you've heard this word before. They, they had phobio. To be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm of those who fear harm or injury. And that struck me because of the last phrase there. To be seized with alarm of those who fear harm or injury. Rob Lacey, paraphrased in his book, says this, The the women leg it from the tomb, shaking and confused, running straight past everyone because they're too freaked to talk. 
They're just, they're just hightailing and need to go out because they're scared. They're, they're, they just pass everyone. But then I asked my question to myself, why were the women afraid? Why were they afraid? Women weren't credible witnesses in that time. They were not reliable witnesses. They were, in a way, silenced. Remember the definition of phobia? Of those who fear harm or injury? Maybe they would have been mocked or said, eh, we're not going to listen to you and just thrown out. Silenced. Maybe that's why they were afraid. I don't know the reasons, but listen to some people. N.T. Wright says this in his book, Surprised by Hope. Fitting, Surprised by Hope. Empty tomb brings hope. The presence of the women as the principal witnesses, whether you like it or not, women were not regarded as credible witnesses in the ancient world. They are in all four gospel stories. I looked up with a smile on my face because I don't know what I would do without women. There's been a lot of women in my life that have influenced me. They are in all four Gospels. How many? And how many Gospels are in our Bible? Four, all of them. Front and center, the first witnesses, the first apostles, nobody would have made them up, N.T. Wright. William Placker says this, If someone had invented the story, however, I can think of no reason why women would have been cited as the witnesses. If it's a made-up story, who would put witnesses, the first witnesses as women? David Garland says this, Later Jewish law required two male witnesses to verify the truth of something except in, a, in exceptional circumstances. And it is reasonable to conclude that this rule was applicable in the first century. For an event so critical to the faith, one would want the testimony of reputable persons who were considered to be reliable. And if you didn't catch that, because this one, I was like, Amen, praise the Lord, yes. Later Jewish law required two male witnesses to verify the truth. How many male witnesses do we have? Four. Four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They all wrote it down. It's true. Women were there, and women obviously went out and told somebody. They were afraid, yes, but obviously it took off, and they said it, and the disciples said, we believe you, and look at what we have now. They're recorded in all four Gospels. I say praise the Lord, amen, for that, because... Without these women, would we have it? I don't know. The empty tomb brings hope. Do you believe that? Here's takeaways for today. Number one, hope in the resurrected Jesus. Hope in the resurrected Jesus. He's alive. The young man said, He's not here. Get out of the tomb and go. Tell the disciples and Peter. You're going to see him again. 
Hope in the resurrected Jesus. Are we going to see Jesus again? You betcha. Hope in the resurrected Jesus. Hope in those who witness about the resurrected Jesus. If somebody is witnessing about the resurrected Jesus, we can say what? Praise the Lord. Amen. Keep preaching, keep teaching, keep telling other people about the resurrected Jesus because He's not dead. So hope in those who witness about the resurrected Jesus. Then you have hope in becoming a witness about the resurrected Jesus. Do something about the message you have and been redeemed with and have been excited about and and influenced with because Jesus is alive and I think He's still alive working in people today. So go and tell about that. Become a witness. And to be honest, sometimes I'm like the women. I'm afraid and don't want to tell anybody. But we need to go and tell to all those who will listen to us. And then number four, live a life of hope in the resurrected Jesus. What do I mean by this? This is kind of the main one I was struck with because go to Philippians for a second. Because you have in Mark chapter 8, right? 16 verse 8 says, Trembling and bewildered, the women fled the tomb. And they didn't tell anybody. But eventually they did, right? Because we have it recorded. But Philippians, Paul writes this in chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 12. Paul writes this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, catch this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. You know what that word means? That phrase means this. Used to describe the anxiety of one who distrusts his or her ability completely to meet all requirements. I distrust my own ability to meet all the requirements to live the Christian life and to save myself. Do you? We can't do it on our own. And then the second half of the definition. But religiously does, I hate the word religiously, but that's what it is. But religiously does his or her utmost to fulfill his or her duty. You can't do it on your own. I believe I can't do it on my own. I hope you believe you can't do it on your own. And that's why Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Distrust your own ability and do everything you can to fulfill your duty. But look at what he says after that phrase. For it is God. 
who works in you to will and to act in order to fill His good purpose. Yes, I am fear and trembling my way through life. I can't trust myself because I can do nothing good on my own. But then I realize while I'm doing that, oh, I have a God who's working in me, Jesus the Messiah who saved me from sin, the Holy Spirit in me now who is God living inside of me. I can follow the Spirit's leading and hopefully fulfill the duty that God requires of me and you. Isn't that beautiful? Live a life of hope in the resurrected Jesus. You can live with fear and trembling knowing that God is working in you and in the lives of those around you. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hope in Jesus, who is your life. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's three things you can do today, and more. But if you say, I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior, Jesus. Repent, believe, confess that Jesus is Lord. And go to the watery grave in baptism and be raised to a new life, forgiven. And the Holy Spirit as a gift comes in you. That's the best decision you'll ever make. It's a tough one but it's the best one. If you want prayer or need something to pray for or just ask a question, I'll be up here. Or you can, somebody you trust in the congregation, you can go up to them. Or if you're a Christian and you say, I need a church home, a family to join, you can join Ferris today. There's probably many more decisions you can make, but take one of those takeaways. Live it out this week. Bring others into your circle and say, hey, I have a, somebody I want to share with you. Resurrected Jesus, my friend, my brother, my Savior. I want to introduce him to you. So pray with me. And once again, the empty tomb brings hope. This is a little prayer from Douglas McKelvey. It says this. Let's pray. Let our faith be built on the rock of our salvation. Let our feet stand fast on the rock of redemption. Let our hope rest firm on the rock of resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us stand as we sing the last song.